Let us join our hearts and minds in prayer. Holy God, you confound the world's wisdom in giving your kingdom to the lowly and the pure in heart. Give us such a hunger and thirst for justice and perseverance in striving for peace that in our words and deeds, the world may see the life of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. You may be seated. The Epistle Lesson from the first chapter of 1, 1 Corinthians, verses 18 through 31. The message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Word of God, word of life. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. 
For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of the Lord. May be seated. As sometimes happens when other things are having an effect on me as I try to write my sermon for the week, the message for the week, um, I add things and subtract things, and this is one of those add Sundays. So as I began to gather thoughts and references for this message, and after uh, Linda and I had already selected which lectionary text to use this morning, I decided I was going to create a combo. A combo that has nothing to do with supersizing large fries or any kind of Big Mac or Whopper. (laughs) Instead, I decided to create a combo of the Old Testament Hebrew scripture lesson from Micah 6, 6 to 8, and the New Testament Christian gospel lesson that I just read for you, Matthew 5, 1 to 12. So I'm adding the Micah reading now. Here we go. Listen again to God's word for you and me. Beginning at the sixth chapter of Micah, verses six through eight, uh, verses one through eight, excuse me. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you, oh, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord, and your enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? In what way have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now that the king of Balak of Moab devised what Balaam's son of Baor answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gigal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With a calf a year old, will the Lord be blessed with thousands of rams, with tens tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? And to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. May God add God's rich blessing to this additional reading from his holy gospel. So what do we have here? It seems the prophet Micah is doing something that doesn't always happen in the world. Blessing. How powerful can a blessing be in a world that rarely blesses? Most of the time, we're good with affirmation, at least the words part, but we don't always follow it up with our deeds. You know, what we do after we affirm with our words. The other challenge here is that too often, we are much better at accusation and blaming than we are at affirmation and building up. Even beyond all that, I would say that we're not so good. Maybe even go further and say we live in a world that rarely takes time to bless anything. 
Given that we rarely bless and live in a world that rarely blesses, just imagine how powerful a blessing can turn out to be in this crazy world that spends too much time accusing and not enough, not and not too much time affirming, and even less time blessing. The good news is that because you are here at worship, I choose, actively choose, to bless you with a traditional blessing right now just because I want to bless you right now. A blessing that's part of a faith ritual for me that transcends my almost 15 years of ordained ministry and is something that goes back as far as my faith memory goes back It is a blessing I use almost every Sunday. It will most likely be used at least twice today. The blessing comes from right out of the scriptures. Most people don't know that. The Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament from the book of Numbers, chapter 6, it's called the Arianic Blessing. That's a pretty fancy name. It's pretty simple, though, actually. It, it, it comes. It's called that because it comes directly from Yahweh God to Moses, and then Moses passes it along to Moses' son, Aaron. Hence the Arianic blessing. This blessing is used to bless the people of ancient Israel by Aaron. And I use it to bless each of you gathered here this morning. And I do almost at the end of most services. Now here a slightly different form of that blessing from the version I usually use for for my benediction. It comes from the message translation. And now receive God's blessing. God bless you and keep you. God smile on you and gift you. God look you full in the face and make you prosper. And then the part that we don't that I don't always use in the 27th verse it, it, it adds a confirmation and tells us what God's doing. It says in doing so they will place my name on the people of Israel. I will confirm it by blessing them. See how good it feels to be blessed by God? So still basking in the glow of God's blessing, I'm going to take us on a little different direction. I'll say up front that I'm not, I'm not a big one for playing up judgment. God, God's judgment or judgment of any kind in my messages or preaching. And I'm never going to knowingly preach that I have any ability whatsoever or any insight into the will of God. And being able to accurately say or determine who's in and who's out. Or what you are doing or not doing is wrong or right. And for sure, never declaring that anyone is going to this place or that place. Or anything resembling that kind of judgment. But as we see here in both the lessons from Micah and Matthew... That once we have decided in our own hearts to be and become followers and believers and a part of this faith community, this community of faith, that we, that, that we are, each of us, held to a higher understanding, a higher understanding of just what it means to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus the Christ. The prophet Micah tells us and gives us the big picture and reminds us to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly, walk humbly with our God. After being given this big picture, we turn to the sermon or message Jesus himself is preaching in the gospel from Matthew. Scholars disagree about exactly who the audience is for this message or sermon on the Beatitudes up there on the mount. Some say it was most likely a private class for the 12 disciples, a refresher for them. 
Others say it was Jesus teaching his disciples on the hill going up from the Sea of Galilee or Lake Gennesaret. And as Jesus taught the Beatitudes contained within this message, a crowd gathered along with the 12 disciples as Jesus taught. That's the one that sounds best to me because it also reflects what I've experienced. On the shores of the Sea of Galilee at the Church of the Beatitudes, my friend Abunilias Shakur, the former Archbishop of the Melkite Church, the last, I've been there three times with him, and he always teaches the Beatitudes. He stands in his simple robe and these outside chapels on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and teaches the Beatitudes. I can see it as plain as day. The last time I went there, he was mobbed with people when we got, up, we got out of our bus. The word got around that he was there. And all of these people gathered. And you can just picture Jesus, this happening to Jesus right there. The Sea of Galilee is a wonderful place because there's not a lot of big stone buildings around. That, that says, oh yeah, under all, all those stones, that's where that happened. You can actually see what it must have looked like to be a disciple and follow Jesus around and listen to him teach in this way. So that's the one that that I like. I, I would put it to you this morning that we are talking about a lesson intended then and intended now for those who already believe or those who have recently come to faith to remind them, to teach them again, to remind us, to teach us again, to refresh the collective memory about not only what it means to be a disciple, but exactly what disciples are called to do. After, as, as soon as we begin to shift toward the gospel lesson, an interesting point in the translation of Matthew 5, the, this Matthew 5 gospel lesson, the so-called Sermon on the Mount. I know, oh no, here he goes into the old languages and all that stuff. Yeah, a little bit. Most translations start with each of the admonitions, the Beatitudes, with blessed are. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Or a couple of translations say happy are, or happy are the pure in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Mm, not so much. My friend and compatriot Abunelias Shakur points us to the translation of the Christian gospel from Aramaic to English. Not the usual translation of the New Testament that comes from Koinia Greek to English. Many scholars agree that Aramaic is the language that Jesus would most likely have been spoken. A form of the Arabic language dating back thousands of years. In the Aramaic, according to Abu Shakur and others, it doesn't say blessed are. And if it sure doesn't say happy are, you can hear him saying that. If it sure doesn't say happy are. You know that man Robert Schuller, the, the happy attitudes or whatever that book is that he wrote? You can hear him saying that. But instead becomes a kind of pep talk, a coach's talk before the big game, if you will. Something along the lines of, come on, get up, do something. Don't you see those who are poor in spirit, who need your help in finding faith? Come on, don't just sit there. Isn't there a way for you to comfort those who mourn? You have everything it takes to help when there are so many siblings in the faith that are hunger, that hunger and thirst for righteousness. And are you just going to contemplate peace? Or will you become a peacemaker? So bringing both the blessings from the teachings of Prophet Micah and the, and the sermon from Jesus together, we discover that maybe, just maybe, we need to be more intentional about looking at those around us differently than the dominant culture does. We need to be careful to remember that people are not their possessions. 
Rather than judge others by their failings, we are invited to forgive and remind them that they are, in fact, blessed by God and born for so much more than they seem to be willing to settle for. Rather than despise weakness that the prevailing culture seems to teach is less than desirable and in some cases even evil, we are invited to see in it, in the weakness, what one scholar calls the truest point of meeting between God's children. Remember, God reveals God's own self to us most clearly and consistently at our places of deepest need. Well, what does that mean? This is why... in this crazy time in our world where we have all these people running around running around us who think that they're always right and always have to be right and think that they are better than though than others and seem to need to accuse and refuse to affirm and never come close to blessing the accusations and the put downs and the making fun of each other especially those who we disagree with or think are wrong on all sides and in every direction seems sometimes to be too much to bear right I would say to all of you, what would happen if our community of faith became a place where we, all of us, recognize that God always comes when we least expect God to be? Guess where? How about amid our brokenness? In and through and with and in the middle of and all around our brokenness. Your brokenness and my brokenness. And all our brokenness, some way, somehow, at some time. What if God comes into that space... Into our brokenness, why does God come in this most unlikely place? God comes there in order to bless. bless. To bless that which the world refuses to bless. To love those who the world calls unlovable. To redeem, you know, save that which the world does not believe merits saving. What might happen if we, as we leave church, as we leave this building, as we leave this community of faith, as we leave these friends in the faith, to go back into the secular world, what what if we leave with new eyes? New eyes that will allow each of us, allow you and allow me, to be able to perceive the needs of our neighbors and the needs of all those around us, because indeed all are children of God. To see them with new eyes and be able to see, as one commentator says, see the mark of blessedness to which we are privileged to do for them to assist them in their challenges challenge or challenges that are before them our community of disciples for that is what we are our community of disciples like the one Jesus formed and gathered on the hillside overlooking Lake Gennesaret are fortunate by the grace of God to be different to be different from the world around us and to be and become and become again places of forgiveness places of mercy places of grace places of goodness now some may not want, may not want to join this kind of community of faith I and mean, that's okay one writer says this there will always be folks who have a hard time recognizing that freedom comes from letting go. That strength comes often in vulnerability. And that safety comes through trust and mutual regard. End quote. Remember, Jesus is saying clearly in the gospel lesson from Matthew that God's kingdom, the beloved community, isn't a place far away, but is instead found wherever and whenever we honor each other. 
We honor each other as God's children, created in the image and with the likeness of God. Tend because of this honoring, we are willing and able to bear each other's burdens, to tend to each other's wounds, and to do our best to meet each other's needs, just where we are. The commentator again, to be human is to be inescapably fragile and vulnerable. And it turns out that the surprising character of God isn't to reject any of these things, but rather to gather them all in a divine embrace. That's the Reverend David Luce who writes amazing things. So the words that I choose to use in the benediction, the charge and blessing, I often give, like I said before, at the end of each worship service in which I provide pastoral leadership. It actually comes, as I said, from Scripture. The book of Numbers, chapter 6, verses 22 to 26. The heading for this book, of the se- uh, uh, this section of the book of Numbers, says the priestly benediction. It starts out in verse 22 and 23 reminding us that the words of Moses will speak in this blessing coming straight from the Lord. Giving not only the blessing but also who the blessing is for when it says, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the Israelites. You shall say to them. So the blessing is for Aaron, Moses' son and Aaron's sons, which they then are told that they should bless the rest of the ancient Israelites and on down the line until today we still bless people with the same blessing. Then we get Moses claiming his leadership and his willingness and like all good leaders to take responsibility for and to take bold action for important actions like this blessing when it says in verse 27, so they shall put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Finally, Now that we have blessed others, blessed each other, you did that when you you shared the peace, by the way. That's a symbol of that. You're blessing each other when you greet each other in that way, kindly, and in, in that stuff. So you blessed each other, and we blessed ourselves, because when we speak it, we receive it. Let's think about those who we don't often think or perceive as valuable. Or do do they get our blessing too? Do they get any blessings at all? Do they get anyone who's willing to even think about blessing them? Are those whom too many of us think may not be valuable or important or worthy of our assistance to be precisely those, precisely those who God chooses to bless and honor and love and save and lift up and guess what? Make disciples and guess what else? Entrust with spreading the gospel to all the world and guess what happens when this happens? Those most unlikely siblings in Christ, yeah, because they're believers and they're disciples too, that we have blessed in spite of who they are, turn around and do what? How about they tell us this? The Lord blesses you and and me and keeps you and me. The Lord makes his face to shine upon you and upon me. And they tell us that the Lord will be gracious to us, even though we weren't gracious to them. The Lord will be gracious to both you and me. And they are bold enough and confident enough in what God is doing for them to tell us that the Lord is lifting up his countenance upon you and me. What? Lifting up his countenance. They're telling us that God is taking us into God's presence. So that we can actually see God's face. 
And then after that, this great blessing of being in the presence of God and seeing God's face, guess what they do? What's next in the blessing? They give us peace. They give me peace. They give you peace. They give all of us peace. And that peace, the peace that passes all understanding, the peace of Christ, is exactly, exactly what we all need. Why do we need it? Because we got to get ready to continue to do what? To do justice. To love kindness. And to walk humbly, humbly with our God. Amen? Thank you. Now hear these words of benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go now in peace and God's blessings upon you. Amen. Be the light of Christ. Thanks be to God.